Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Time for Bible study. Welcome to Bible study tonight. Praise the King. Glory. Anybody have a good day today? Wow, if you didn't have, you need to know Jesus. You can have a good day with Jesus, right? Amen. Life is fun when you know Jesus. If you didn't have fun today, you need to find Jesus. Yes, sure. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Praising the Lord. You know, it's amazing when you, when you have so many things. In fact, I'm going to tell you a little story to start off here with. I had completely forgot until I was talking to John a while ago. It's amazing how when you have these kind of stories and you forget them. You know, I mean, but it's wonderful. Isn't it wonderful to have seen Jesus do so many things you can't remember all the things you've seen Him do? I love it. You know, I mean, I can remember when I saw Him do one thing, I re- that was burned indelibly into my circuits. And I thought, man, I won't never forget this. And I didn't. And I still got it. But I think about a t- a, a something that happened here a few years ago. I was still in the workforce. Of course, I knew Jesus and I served him and I knew, you know, the mighty promises that he had. I'd been teaching in healing school probably two or three years at that time. So one day I was, I was still an engineer for a large corporation and we needed a big parking lot repaved. So I went to the Yellow Pages and found an outfit that did things and I called them. And they sent a lady out and a man. Now, I didn't know at that time that the lady was the wife of the husband that owned this company. But she came out, and she was very knowledgeable in parking lots. Obviously, you know, married to a man that, you know, this is a business they're in. Obviously, they had been doing this many years because I had later learned they'd been married 25 years. So, anyway, she came out and brought one of her foremans with her, and whenever... Uh, the man that worked for our company come back to get me. He said, Thurman, my office was way back in the middle of the building. He said, the, the lady that's up here at the front to give you a bid on the parking lot, but she's on crutches. So I thought it'd be better if you run up, walk up there instead of her walking all the way back here and up there. I said, that makes good sense. I said, I'll be happy to. So I walked up to the front where we were going to walk out the front anyway, you know, to look at the area where we wanted to repave it. And when I walked up there, she's on crutches. And... Uh, the guy was with her. I said, I met her, and she told me what her name was and everything. And I said, ma'am, I said, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And I said, well, you're walking on crutches. How long have you been walking on them? She said, three months. But he said, she said, but I know Jesus is going to heal me. I said, ma'am, he's not going to heal you. She said, what do you mean? I said, no, I guarantee he's not going to heal you. She said, but I'm believing him to heal me. I said, ma'am. You got it all wrong. She said, what do you mean? I said, you need to believe it's already done. I said, the king has already done it for you. He's provided everything for us. I said, he has provided a way for you to be wonderfully healed. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, Jesus made a statement in his word that whatever we say with our mouth, if we believe with our heart, we can have it. I said, he also said we can lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. I said, so... I'm going to guarantee you, ma'am, in the name of Jesus. I said, I know you don't know me. This is the first time you've ever seen me. But I'm going to guarantee you, if you let me lay my hands on you and pray a prayer of faith for you, I'm going to guarantee you that when you wake up tomorrow, you won't have no pain and your foot will be healed in the name of Jesus. She stopped a minute. She looked at me. She said, you guarantee he'll heal me? I said, yes, ma'am. 
She said, I ain't never met nobody like you. I said, what a shame. We should all be like me. Because this is the promises of God. And she said, okay, okay. So I just reached over and just laid my hands on her. I said, hold your arm. I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. I said, okay, now then let's go look at the parking lot. Now, wasn't that hard? I mean, wasn't, wasn't that so hard? Uh, Jesus made it really tough, didn't he, Ty? <laughs> no, he didn't. That's how Ty gets them all healed all the time. He knows exactly what to do. He just prays for them. God does it. And he's learned that it, God does everything. All he expects us to do is just do something in faith. And so, we go out, and we go out in the parking lot, and we do all, the guy makes all the measurements and everything, and and uh, I ask him, does he know Jesus? Well, you know, no, I don't go to church, you know. Okay, okay. You know, normal business guy. And so we do all this uh, measuring and everything, and she's walking around out there on her crutches. And when we get all the measurements done, she says, well, I've got all the information I need. We'll go back and work you up a proposal. We'll send it to you. Have it to you tomorrow. I said, fine. I said, now remember, when you make, wake up in the morning, get up and step down believing you're healed. I said, because you will be. You won't need those crutches tomorrow. She kind of looked at me and kind of, you know, laughed like everybody does, you know. But about 10 o'clock the next morning, my phone rang at work, and it was this lady. She said, this is the most unbelievable thing I have ever seen in my life. She said, I came home last night and told my husband I met a unique man. And he laid hands on me and prayed for me and told me that I was going to be healed when I wake up in the morning. And my husband laughed. So she said, this morning when I woke up, I moved my foot around and I had no pain. She said, I got down to the edge of the bed and I got down and stood up and said, I had no pain. And so she said, I started no pain. So she said, I started dancing and praising the Lord. And my husband started saying, Woman, what are you doing? You can't do that. You know your leg is bad. You quit doing that. You're going to hurt it again. She said, I met a man yesterday. I told you that said he would pray for me in the name of Jesus. And he guaranteed me Jesus is going to heal me. And she said, I'm healed. So she said, this is awesome. She said, for the last two or three hours, I've been running around doing everything I want to. No crutches, no pain, no nothing. She said, I am really healed. I said, well, praise God. All you got to do is thank Jesus. I told you he'd already done it. Well, about a week later, this woman called me again. And she said, it's getting better every day. I said, wait a minute now. I mean, I thought you said it was healed with no pain last week. Oh, she said, I'm not talking about my foot. She said, my foot was healed last week. And I hadn't had any pain or problem with it all week long. But she said, what I'm talking about, my husband of 25 years, which will not go to church me, that's not a believer. He just accepted Jesus this morning as his Lord and Savior. (laughs) Now then, why does Jesus do these miracles for us? He does them to get the attention of the people that's lost because that devil, which is blinding their minds, Jesus came to save the lost. And He came so that every human being on this earth can be saved. Now, if you and I are like this nurse that was down at the hospital here a while back, I went down there to minister to a person, and I walked in, and I'm talking to this nurse and everything and about how well, this person's condition and everything. And I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? Boy, you wouldn't want to hear the words she said. Blankety blank, no. And I said, well, what have you got against Jesus? She said, 
you Christians, you people that profess to be Christians, are the worst there are. She said, y'all are always grumbling and complaining. And she said, if y'all serve a God that does something, then why don't we see Him do something? She said, the people that come in here are lost and don't, don't even profess to know Jesus. They don't have the negative attitudes. And they're not, some of them, not near as sick as some of you Christians are. So she said, when I start seeing a change in Christians, then I might be interested in your God. Well, I said, it's obvious you ain't never met me. I said, because I don't walk in sickness and disease, and I don't grumble and complain, and I walk in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And she didn't know how to receive that either. You know, she's just like that nurse down at Gainesville. No, Gatesville. It wasn't Gatesville. Gainesville's this way. Gatesville's this way. I walked into a hospital room the other day of an elderly gentleman that called me and said, Thurman, I've just been in the hospital and I've had pneumonia and they're going to take me out of ICU today. Would you come down here and pray for me? Well, that's a three-hour drive, you know. But I told him, sure. So I jumped in my car and I drove three hours and I got down to that hospital and I walked in and they had just taken him out of ICU and he's sitting up on the bed when I walk into his room and I'll go and shake his hand and everything and said, how are you doing? He said, well... I'm not doing real well right at this point. He said, I'm getting better. But he said, I wanted you to come down here and pray for me. I said, okay. And the nurse walked in, and she started putting a deal on his arm, going to take his blood pressure. So I'm just standing there watching her, and she checks it. She said, it's it's extremely high. said, the low number is 135. And said, that's really high. And said, we're going to need to to give you some medication or something. I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, you go to church? She said, oh, yeah. I said, uh, have, do you ever pray for people? She kind of looked. She said, well, not, not much. I said, you've never seen God do a miracle, have you? She looked at me and said, well, of course not. <laughs> and I said, well, how would you like to see him do one right now? She looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, you just said his blood pressure was 135, and that's way too high. Oh, she said, that's way too high. I said, what should it be? She said, about 70. I said, okay. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to Charlie's body, and I command his blood pressure to be about 70. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. Because you said, whatever I say with my mouth, Mark 11:23, I can have it. So I said, it's done. I said, check it again. She laughed at me, and she I just checked it. It's too high. She starts to leave. And Charlie says, ma'am, ma'am, would you please check it one more time? She said, Charlie, I just checked it, and it was 135, and it's not going to change that quick. I said, ma'am, you don't believe God, do you? She said, look. I said, ma'am, really? I'm serious. Jesus does wonderful work when you believe Him. I said, I believe Him. Charlie said, please, okay, I'll check it for you. So she pumps it back up and starts letting it down. And it stops at 72. And the tears just start running down her cheeks. And I looked over and I said, ma'am, you can't never say you hadn't seen God do a miracle now, can you? I mean, the tears were just running out of her eyes. And I said, "Uh, Jesus is right here in this room with us right now. And I said, he just changed Charlie's blood pressure. You saw... One minute ago, you saw his blood pressure on the low side. At 135, I spoke one little simple word of prayer, and you rechecked it, and it was 72. I said, now, that didn't just happen as a coincidence, did it? 
She said, there's no way that happened as a coincidence. I said, so you can't never say, I haven't seen Jesus do a miracle now, again. Now then, if somebody said, have you ever seen God do a miracle? Yes. I said, so remember, this is what's available for you when you walk in faith. Now then, you know what happens to most of us? When we take these mighty promises that God made us. Just think about this promise of Mark eleven twenty three. Just think. Jesus is talking to you, the church, and me. If you have this kind of faith, the God kind of faith. That's what he said in verse 22. And that's where we seem to be missing it big time. It's like we don't believe him. And I mean, I read the Bible for years and didn't believe him. You know, didn't believe him at all. And how many miracles do you think I saw? Zero. I didn't even know they were available. But I was in church every time the door was open. But I never seen our king do anything. But when you start believing him, boy, you get to see him do lots of wonderful things. I mean, he's there. You know, so when you when you get to where you believe these promises, like Mark eleven twenty two, if you have the God kind of faith. Well, how are you going to develop the God kind of faith? Number one, you're going to have to start spending time with God in His Word every day. That is the secret. You know, if you want to spend time, if you don't spend time with God, He's not going to draw near to you. You know, if you get in there and spend time with Him every day, He loves it when you spend time with Him. He will manifest Himself to you. He will talk to you. You will hear His voice. I mean, and if you don't hear it any other way, you'll hear it out of the Word. I mean, you'll read something in there and all of a sudden it'll jump out in bold letters and it'll flash two or three times and He'll say, I'm talking to you right here. You know, I mean, that's the way He'll do it. I've even, I have had people tell me that I'm sitting here reading the Word and all of a sudden it's like the Word's got bold and raised up on the page. You know, well, guess why that happened? He's talking to you right there. But He'll talk to you many ways. Through your Spirit, He'll talk to you through the Word. He'll talk to your friend. A friend will walk up and say, you know, I just think you ought to be going to church and you're not going to church anymore. He said, well, I wonder where that come from. Well, hey, that was God talking to you. And there, yeah, you've been out of church for a while. You know, you hadn't had time for God. Or, since I know they're heavily involved in a prison ministry, you might not be involved in nothing. Somebody come up and say, you know, I believe you ought to start going to prisons with me. Me go to a prison? Ain't no way I'm going to go to no prison. Yeah, but I believe you'd enjoy it. Why don't you go with me? And the Holy Spirit's working on him. And all of a sudden, he says, well, okay, if you want to go next Wednesday night, I'll go with you. And you go down there, and God puts you into a ministry and sets you on fire. And you start, you've got a captive audience down there that can't get away. <laughs> you get down there, and you got them. I mean, I think when we went to the prisons in Palestine, I, I followed a, a Catholic uh, priest. And he went in, and it was that, that afternoon, you know, where they do all the stuff and different denominations and everything. And I was in the big prisons down in Palestine, down here south of Dallas. And we, we went in there, and this Catholic priest had been in there preaching or talking or whatever he is doing. And then they turned this guy loose in there, and I preached faith to them guys. They said, now you got, I think it was 45 minutes, and you got to be out. I said, okay. So, man, I took my 45 plus one or two. And nobody stopped me. And then I said, you know, I've taken all of my time. But I said, if anybody needs to be prayed for, if they'll let me stay a little bit longer, I will. And that guy there, he said, you got it. He said, I want to be prayed for too. And he brought the whole book. I got about another 30 or 40 minutes in that prison 
way beyond what I was supposed to get. And I prayed for people in there. God instantly healed some of them. And I got letters from those guys for a month after that. How the wonderful things God had done. Some of them had had all kinds of diseases. He healed them. Done all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, these guys were jumping up and down and screaming. Now, when I walked in, they were all sitting there nice and quiet. This, this Catholic priest had just walked out. There was nobody clapping, nobody fussing, nobody doing nothing. But when I walked out, they was all jumping up and down and screaming because I'm praying for them and God's healing them. You know, He's moving. Hey, now that's where we should be as Christians. Serving the Lord should be fun, right? But the Lord made us this promise in Mark 11:22: If you have the God kind of faith. Now, see, that's the secret right there. You've got to have the God kind of faith. How are you going to get it? Spend time with the King. Get in His Word. When you spend time with Him, get in His Word. He says, then I will come and I will manifest myself to you. And so, then He said, after you begin to develop the God kind of faith, He said, now then, I'm going to put this power in your mouth. It's my Holy Ghost. He said, you can speak to a mountain. I don't care what that mountain is. It'll move. And... Uh, I see, what's the, the, the evangelist's name? Michael, the other night that was with us? Uh, the last Tuesday night? Michael. Michael. We were sitting down at the uh, cafe down here after Bible study the other night, and we, he and I were talking. We were sitting right at the table together, and he said, A few years ago, he said, uh, I noticed that uh, some big lumps come up under my arms. He said, we, I had them checked, and they were cancer. He said, I went to the Lord. And I said, Lord, what is this? You know, what is this? And so he said, I prayed and I did all kinds of things. And he said, they got worse and they got bigger. And he said, I thought, God, where are you? And he said, then the Lord spoke to me. He said, here I am begging and pleading God. God, where are you? He said, I've got every sin repented of, Lord. I don't know why these things are here. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, how long are you going to let those things stay on you? He said, I thought, Lord, how long am I going to let them stay on there? He said, I gave you dominion over those things. He said, I went into the bathroom and took my shirt off and raised my arms where I could see them things. And I spoke, I cursed them things in the name of Jesus, commanded them beasts to leave me, and said, it's done because Jesus told me I have power and authority over you. In the name of Jesus, you guys are out. And I'm healed because Jesus said so. He said, I put my arm down. Next day, look, it's just worse. I said, praise God, I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I think he said it was two weeks later. Was that what he said, Ty? In two weeks, he went and raised his arm and they're totally gone. They ain't never come back to this day. He got violent with the enemy. See, he took authority. But see, the Lord told you and me in His Word, speak to the mountain. And if you don't doubt in your heart, the mountain will obey you. I mean, we just don't get into that violent faith. We don't step over into that world. But hey, step into that world. I mean, the, the king you and I serve, he loves it when you, do, when you do something in faith. You know that? I mean, I have come to realize that when I make these statements, as so many people say, you can't do that. When I walk up and lay my hands on you and say, you're healed in the name of Jesus, I guarantee it. Hallelujah. Woo! I mean, i got to tell you, I was at the post office Monday morning. Went over to pick up a package. Got a little note. Said they couldn't deliver it. I had to go pick it up. 
So I went over to the post office and I walked in there and there's one man in front of me. Nobody else in the post office. I walked up behind him. The guy's waiting on him. And all of a sudden, two ladies walk in. And one of them's on crutches. And just about the time the guy gets through with something in front of me and I go up to get my package, five other people walk in. Now, so now we've got seven standing here behind me. So then a lady comes up and she comes to the front and says, can I help one of y'all? Well, the first lady, the one that wasn't on crutches, she said, sure. She went up there. He's through with me now. And I turned like this and I said, ma'am, all these people standing in there. I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? And she looks around at all these people and said, yeah. I thought, gee, you're not very sure, are you? I didn't say that, but I wanted to. I said, can I pray for you? And she said, well, uh, why do you want to pray for me? I said, Jesus said, pray one for another that you may be healed. I said, he can't do nothing until we pray in faith. And she said, well, I don't want to hold up these people. So I just reached over and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I said, that's how long it takes, ma'am. I said, you got time. I turned and walked out. I said, thank you, Lord, for healing her. I'm telling you, I bet with all of my heart when that woman woke up the next morning, if not quicker, she was healed. Because I stepped out in bold, violent faith in front of all those people. I'm not ashamed of my Jesus. Are you ashamed of your Jesus? Well, if we are, don't expect Him to do anything for you. You know, I mean, when, I mean, just think how many miracles I've had the privilege to see God do when I step out like that. You know, I mean, after all. Now then, if you don't know your Jesus very well, and you're not spending any time with Him, then you won't have that bold God kind of faith. Now, you've got to have the God kind of faith. You've got to believe that if Jesus made you these promises in His Word, He will do what He said He would do. Now, if you don't believe it, you might as well stay at home. Isn't that right? But if you believe and you know His Word and you're spending time with Him every day, in other words, when you wake up in the morning, you're snuggled up with the King. I mean, you know, you reach over and you put your arm around the king and you say, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you. You're laying here in this bed with me right now. May not be nobody in that bed with you that you can see or feel except you. But I guarantee the king's in that bed with you. He's always in that bed with you because Christ in us, the hope of glory. You can't go to bed without him. And when you pray a prayer, oh God, please go with us this week and don't leave us. You're just wasting your breath. Because he promised in his word to never leave you nor forsake you, didn't he? So all you got to do is believe that. You don't ever have to say, oh, God, please be with me this week. He said, don't worry, son. I ain't going nowhere. I'm right here. I got my arm around you. You know, I'm going to protect you. Walk in obedience to my word. Now then, if you walk in obedience to his word and do what he says, you know, you will develop that God kind of faith. And when you develop that God kind of faith, those scriptures like Mark 11:23 will come to life to you. Now then, whatever you say with that mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it. See? Now, that very verse right there is the very verse that when Eldon called Cheryl that night and asked me to pray for Dr. Gary Young, whenever I told him, I said, well, uh, he won't... Actually, Eldon called and said he wanted us to go up there. And I told him, okay. I said, we'll go. We'll be happy to go up there to Salt Lake City, Utah. Because Dr. Gary said, he told Ellen, said, tell Thurman and Cheryl, I'll buy them a ticket if they'll come up here. And I said, okay, we'll go. But I said, tell him when you talk to him on the phone, tell him I want to talk to him tonight. Call me on my cell phone. I want to talk to him before I come tomorrow. Well, 
He did about 10 o'clock. That was about 8. We'd left here and had went by to have a little bite to eat, and it was about 8 o'clock on Sunday night. So about 10 o'clock, Dr. Gary, he calls. And so I talked to him a few minutes about the Lord and about what faith was. And then I told him, I said, are you in pain? Oh, he said, I'm in excruciating pain. Have been ever since Tuesday when I fell out of that tree and broke my back. I said, well, the God I serve, he said in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to do a miraculous healing on Dr. Gary Young's back. And completely a miraculous healing. I said, guarantee, Dr. Gary, my Jesus will do a supernatural healing on your back. I said, thank you, Lord, for your word. Just think, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Isn't that amazing? That he makes us all these awesome promises. And when that devil comes by and throws that mantle over your head... And you're all under there with you, you and the devil. You know, we forget that God's right in there, don't we? Yes, we do. We forget real quick who we are as sons of God, daughters of God. I mean, when would we get under that cover with the devil? And he said, oh, but you old fool, you, you know Jesus ain't going to do nothing good for you. We listen to him, don't we? We try not to. And I'm getting where I try less to listen to the devil and more to God all the time. Because when I prayed that prayer of faith for Dr. Gary... I guarantee the king of the universe would heal him. And I asked him to do a supernatural miracle. Well, God did exactly that in a matter of a few seconds. He's totally, completely healed. Within 15 minutes, calls back and tells me already, I am completely healed. I'm running up down the stairs carrying my son and everything else. Isn't that awesome? What a God we serve. Well, I didn't know when I asked him to do a supernatural miracle, I didn't know how supernatural until Eldon went to one of his meetings later. And he said he spent about 30 minutes talking about his products and then an hour and a half or two hours talking about his healing from the Lord. Right, Eldon? Pretty close. close. That's something like that. But he said what he showed them, if I understood Eldon right, he may have to correct me on this, he showed a picture of his back and where the vertebrae or whatever they are in the back but that was destroyed when he fell. According to x-ray, you couldn't see them. Is that what you said? X-ray, you can see it on the, up in front. You couldn't see them. In fact, oh, oh, the one where it was healed, there was a vacancy. That's yes, what I mean. It didn't show up at all. It wouldn't show up at all. No. But he's normal. In fact, when the doctors looked at it, the other doctors, they said, you, you can't bend over. The space was perfect. Where it should have been, there was none. There was nothing there on the x-ray. The space was perfect, and he had no pain. No pain? You talk about a supernatural healing. What kind of God do we serve, Ty? Awesome. He's awesome, isn't he? When I asked him to do a supernatural healing on that back... He took somebody and put something that's invisible in Dr. Gary Young's back and tied all in pieces together where now he can bend and do everything he wants to do with no pain. But yet when you put an x-ray machine on him, there ain't nothing there. He shouldn't be able to have a back. He ought to be falling apart like this. It's the God we serve awesome. He's awesome. I mean, tell you, he's awesome. So just say, what can God do? Now, you know, think about what Ephesians 3.20 says. The God we serve can do what? Immeasurably, abundantly, above all that you can think or imagine. And you know, most of us, that's far as we go. But you know what the rest of that verse says? Somebody get your Bible. What? What? According to the power that works in you. Okay, my question to you is, how much of that power do you have in you? 
Somebody says, I got it all. Well, if you, are, if you have it all, then why aren't you out there cleaning out the hospitals? If you got it all, why aren't you out there getting all the lost people saved? Why aren't you out there kicking the devils out of people? Why aren't you doing it if you got all of the power of God in you? You know what? We don't have all of it. We got a little bit of it. You know how little bit we have? It's according to the time we spend with Him. You spend a few minutes with Him, you got a little bitty tiny speck. Now, if you spend a lot of time with Him, you got a lot of Him in there. And if you spend great number of hours every day, how much power? How much of that power do you have in you? Woo! I mean, you can get to the point where you have unlimited power with God. It did. Now, of course, when you start trying to walk in unlimited power with God, I can guarantee you the enemy's going to show up to get you busy doing something else. You know that, don't you, brother? He'll get you busy doing anything. I mean, he'll get you busy working somewhere. He'll get you busy ranching with cattle. <laughs> we both know that, don't we, John? He'll get us busy with something that we love. I don't care what it is. You know, I mean, he will get you busy doing something. Because the devil, he don't mind how much you learn about the world. He don't, he don't care how many uh, cars you drive or tractors you work on or cattle you raise or airplanes you fly or nothing else. But he don't want you in that word. He don't want you in that word. Because when you get in that word and you begin to study that word, you begin to get that word in you. So now then that word, according to the power that's in you, and it's such a shame that most of our lives, most of us have almost no power within us. I mean, I, I can remember being in church a lot of years of my life. And I've read that Ephesians 3.20. There's no telling how many hundred times I've read that verse. But this last year, I was reading that. And the Lord just quickened my spirit. He said, the reason you don't walk in my anointing where I want you is because you don't have enough of my power in you. I thought, God, that says according to the power. That's all of your power. It's in me. He said, but you ain't turned on but just a little tiny corner of it. Boy, just think what we could do if we could turn on all of that power. Wouldn't that be awesome? You go down to them prisons and walk into that place with all them guys that's lost. And before you go in there, you pray a prayer of faith and you go to the throne of grace and you kick out every devil in that place before you go in that place. Every one of them. And then you walk in there you say, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to sick the Holy Ghost on every one of these men here. I ask you to begin to convict them all of sin. You said that if there's any of these men lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the truth. And you said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, you've given me all power over the devil, all power, and he has to be subject to me. He has to obey me because I'm not walking in no kind of sin. So, devil, I am commanding you to leave this place. I'm coming in in the name of Jesus. I'm going to walk in here in Jesus' name. And when I walk in, the devil's going to go out. And then, Father, you're going to send the Holy Spirit as I teach the Word to these people. And I expect you to heal and set these people free. Now then, just the other day when Alan was here, he's a lawyer. And he goes to prisons all the time. And he took a bunch of our teaching and stuff. And he come up and give a long testimony the other day. Some of you might have been here and heard it. Some of these men that are in prison that he took the teachings to, and they got a hold of it. Some of these men got saved, and they're now getting others saved. In fact, he read a story the other day about a prisoner that had a whole bunch of Muslim guys in there, 
And there was one Christian in there, and one of those Muslims was all beat up on sick and afflicted and everything else. And this Christian guy, he says, come over here, I'm going to pray for you. He said, well, you serve that crazy God, Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with Him. He said, but He loves you and He wants to heal you. And he went over there and kicked that devil out of that boy and prayed the prayer of faith for him. God virtually instantly healed that guy. And within the next two or three days, nearly every Muslim in that jail come back and said, we need to know this Jesus. Now see, when you start walking in a demonstration of God's power, people will say, hey, this guy was healed. I mean, his leg, he was walking on crutches. And now then, you prayed for him in the name of Jesus. This guy's running all over the place. Hey, that's got to have an impact on even a bunch of Muslims. You know it? Give them a day or two and they say, hey, wait a minute. We went and prayed to our God and He didn't do nothing. But your God showed up. He even healed one of us. So if He loves us that much, I wonder what He'd do if we became His children. And see, that's the whole deal. And of course, now then, these guys, Alan, he just calls me regularly. Uh, he's passed our CDs and DVDs out to every prison he goes through all over the country. And only God knows what He's doing with these teachings. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. But God is setting people free. You know, He is about His business, setting people free with His Word. So, when these men get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and power, I mean, when they start preaching the Word in there and start walking holy in obedience to the Word, God shows up for these men. You know, just like He will for you. If you will walk holy before God, and you'll spend time with Him every day in His Word, I will guarantee you, if you'll spend time with God every day, read His Word, and instead of turning the television on tonight, unless it's Christian, and some of the Christian you've got to be a little concerned about, you have to watch, because some of them, you know, don't necessarily teach the truth in everything. They try to teach what they know. But they're so limited in their knowledge in some areas. So be careful who you listen to. Or if they do teach you something, make sure you confirm what they teach with the Word. When I say that, here a while back when I, when I had been preparing for months to do this teaching on how to walk in God's anointing, I'd spent months of, of studying. I don't even know how many hours I spent with God learning. I think that's an eight-session CD, I think, or what it is. It's a bunch of them. But I was trying to learn everything I needed to know from God's Word about how to walk in His anointing. Things that He showed me that I've learned. So, as I'm reading this one night, I thought, you know, I'm just kind of exhausted of studying here. Lord, I'm just going to lay down all my study. I've been studying three or four hours that afternoon. And I said, I'm just going to watch Christian television a minute. So, I just reached over and I still had an antenna up at that time that I could get all kinds of uh, channels. But... I never watched anything but Daystar or, or TBN. Restore and flipped it on, and I forget which one it was on, but one of the two. And there was a preacher in Florida. And he was walking across the platform. There's been two or three or four or five hundred people out in his congregation. And here I've been studying for months about God, what He wants, and He's telling me, walk holy before me. Purify yourself from all evil. You know, be perfect in everything you do. You know, no sin in your body. All these things, none whatsoever. And I've been studying and preparing for weeks and even months to, prepare, to teach that series on how to walk in God's anointing. And this preacher's walking across the stage. He says, you know, God don't expect us to be perfect. He knows. He, so he said, he knows you're going to sin. And so, you know, we're just humans. And he, God understands. And I just turned it off. I thought, one of us is reading the wrong book. 
You know, here I am. It says, to them that have this hope in them, they purify themselves from all evil. I said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye perfect, for I am perfect. And every time I start teaching this, and somebody said, well, good grief. What do you think God wants me to be? Is perfect? I said, well, I'm not going to answer that, but I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Matthew 5, 48, and I want you to see what he said. Well, what does it say? I said, I, I mean, after what you said, I'm not even going to tell you. I want you to see it yourself in your own Bible. Well, you know, God don't expect me to be perfect. I said, okay, maybe He don't. But let's see what the Word says about that. So they opened her Bible. What verse was that? Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, 48. So when you turn to Matthew 5, 48, somebody read that to me. What does it say? What does it say, son? But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What, did you say, be you perfect? Surely God wouldn't expect you and me to be perfect. He does. Oh, at least he said so in the book, didn't he? So if he said so in the book, you and me are going to believe him, right? If you want him to do anything for you, you're going to have to believe it. And then you're going to have to strive to be perfect. Now then somebody says, well, I don't believe I can be perfect. You know what you just did to God? Do you know how much you just displeased him? If he told you to be ye therefore perfect... And you reach up and said, but God, I can't do it. See, I can only... This is, this is the way I look at this now. I go back... But see, we've all been like this. And I think it's time we change. But it's always been like this. As we've talked about lately when we was over in the book of Numbers. We've studied the book of Numbers quite a bit lately. And I think about the day that... And I always, you know, when I think about the Exodus, the Ten Commandments, the movie, you know, they might have had a thousand people or fifteen hundred people. I don't know how many they had on that set, but it looked like a massive number of people. But that was nothing. There was six hundred thousand males there, the Bible says, and six hundred thousand females there. That's one point two million. And then those one point two million adult males and females I know had at least one to five million children. You know, back in those days, uh, they had lots of kids. You know, lots of them. You know, because uh, that's just the way people are. You know, they have children. You know, they didn't have no birth control back in those days, so they just had babies. You know, people got pregnant, and they brought babies. That's why that nearly all the families we read about got 10, 12, 15 children. You know, so, you know, if you got 1.2 million men and women, you got a bunch of children. So I can understand when they're grumbling and say, we want meat to eat. And Moses goes to God and he says, Lord, these people are grumbling and complaining. They want meat. He said, I know. I hear they're grumbling and complaining and I'm not very happy with them. So he said, tomorrow I hear they're grumbling and complaining. But even though they're grumbling and complaining, I'm going to give them what they ask for. I will have meat for all of them tomorrow. Moses said, God. If you were to kill every fish in the sea, if you were to kill every fish in the sea, you couldn't feed this multitude. If you were to kill every cow they've got, you couldn't have meat for every one of them tomorrow. And today, what we would say today, God, there's not enough ships, there's not enough railroad stations in Dallas to bring enough food in here overnight to feed this whole mass. And, and there's not. You know, if you had to bring it all in here in one time, if nobody had nothing to eat, It'd be difficult to feed that many people, wouldn't it? You know, God wasn't upset at all. He says, Moses, if my arm got short, 
Is my arm short? You know, do you think I can't reach out there very far now? You think all of a sudden something's happened to my arm, I can't reach out there and get it? That's what he told Moses. You read that, didn't you? You think my arm's got short? Moses said, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. But see, that's when you have to have faith. That's when you just back off and say, God, you made it. You said you can do it. It's a done deal. I'm not even going to think about this. You said you can do it. I know you can do it. But see, God didn't like the grumbling and complaining. See, if they'd have have worshipped Him and praised Him, Lord, we sure do love You. We sure like to have some good meat to eat tomorrow. Or even this next week. Lord, we sure, but we know You can give it to us. Lord, we praise You and thank You for the meat. He said, oh man, am I going to give them meat? And I'm going to really fix them up good. But they said, you know, (laughs) grumbling and it had been better if we'd have stayed back there in Egypt. Or at least we had lots of melons and leeks and onions and all that stuff back there. We had all that good stuff to eat. But they were living under bondage back there. But here they are grumbling and wanting to go back to that. God says, okay, I'm going to give you meat. When Moses said, I don't think it's possible, God. But he said, I'm going to give them meat. I'm not going to give it to them one day like they asked for. I'm going to give it to them for a week. And I'm going to give it to them for a month. They're going to have more meat than they know what to do with. I can only imagine that night, during the night, what Moses was trying. How in the world is God going to do this? I bet you he didn't sleep much that night thinking, you know, I, I don't know, God, I don't know how you can do this. You know, I just, the Lord, I mean, we ain't got enough camels and donkeys and stuff. We could not possibly, I mean, see, we're thinking like human beings, right? That's the way we always, always think. We don't think like God. We don't think in a supernatural realm. We don't think like that. But until you get into God's Word. Then you begin to think like that. God said, I can do anything. You say, praise the Lord. I believe it, Lord. I know you can. So the next morning, man, the quail began to come in by the millions. And it was flying right off the ground about this high. And they're flying slow. You just reach out and get you a handful of them. Take your bucket let them fall in there. You know, is that Right. I mean, they were catching them, knocking them out of the air, and they was having boy, they were killing birds. And if if you've ever eaten any quail meat, and I have, it's beautiful white meat. It's some of the best delicious bird that you can eat. I mean, it's really good stuff. Well, God was feeding His people, but He said so. They started eating the meat, and and He said, and God said in His Word, since they forgot who He was, and they grumbled and complained, He gives them what they asked for. But he sent a wasting disease with it to kill them. I don't think grumbling and complaining pays very good dividends to you. It says, while their meat was in their teeth, the plague came upon him and many of them died because of their grumbling and complaining. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's in there. Guarantee it's in there. I have read it and studied it. Now then, when if God doesn't like grumbling and complaining, He told us that in the Old Testament, and He showed it to us with a demonstration of the Spirit's power by destroying many of His people. And He comes over to the New Testament under the new law, the new law of love, and tells us, do everything without grumbling and complaining. I still don't like it. I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now. So He said, don't do it. But what do we do? We do far too much grumbling and complaining. Now then, when you get a hold of the fact that grumbling and complaining will bring sickness and disease to your body, you know, but, but many people 
many people today are in the church and they grumble and complain, not realizing that it brings sickness and disease to them. Now, what can God do? What can He do? Anything you can believe Him for. Anything you can believe Him for. I don't care what you need. If you need something, just like this ministry. You know, we needed two new printers the other day. You know, to print out all these CDs and DVDs. You have no idea. You know, when I first started printing uh, CDs and DVDs, you know, I got uh, about four of these little Epson printers that you put them in. And, you know, it takes about a minute and 20 seconds to print a CD, but I'm staying busy. Well, I couldn't keep up with four, so I got six, and then I got eight, and then I got 12, and then I got 15. Now, I've got all this stuff going around the table, and, of course, Dave... He helped me. Everybody did. You know, we'd get to work. We had it, Dave and I, we had it down to a science. I mean, we, we could, of course, uh, the, the Cronin kids, man, they had it down to a science too. I mean, you know, especially Brittany. She was so perfect. She could take one of them things off and slip another in and didn't even have to hit the button. They just suck it back in there. Boy, she was one of the slickest I ever seen. She, I mean, really. I mean, these kids, you know, but we could, we, you have no idea how many nights we went around refilling ink cartridges. You know, and, and printing out CDs and DVDs so y'all could have these things free. We did that. And then we later, I needed some uh, higher, one day I said, Lord, i got to have some higher speed printers. You know, I said, we can't keep up. We're get, doing more and more and more of these things. I need some high speed printers. So the Lord took me to some printers that would cost about $2,500 a piece. I said, well, Lord, to do this, and they were fast. I said, wow, wow, that's $7,500. And then... I needed a couple of extra towers and everything. Uh, Lord, that's nearly ten grand. Lord, I need ten thousand dollars. So, did I ask the church for the money? No, you don't ever ask the church for nothing. You ask God. He's the one that moves on the church. He's the one that takes you. He's the one, the only one you got to please. So, I went to the Lord and said, "Lord, I got to have about ten thousand dollars to pay for all these printers and towers and all this stuff." So, I start doing my shopping. After I ask, then I thank Him for it, and I start doing the shopping. And I start trying to find these things standing on His promises. You know, He tells us, if you claim these things by faith, you can have them. Nothing's impossible by faith, the king says. So I'm shopping. And, of course, a few days into this, you know, I, about where I want, and all of a sudden a guy calls me one day. And he says, uh, Thurman, i got a question. I said, sure, I'll try to answer it. And so I, he gave me a question. I answered it. And he said, you know, you're always so good to take my phone call, and you always have my answer. He said, uh, is there anything your ministry needs? I said, well, now that you ask, I, I need uh, some new printers and some uh, 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 copy machines and stuff. And uh, he said, well, how much all that going cost? I said, well, I don't know yet. I hadn't got it together. But I said, it's going to be close to $10,000. He said, well, when you figure it out, uh, he said, how long is it going to take? I said, well, I think two or three more days I'll have it figured out. He said, well, when you get it figured out, call me and I'll see what I can do. I said, okay. So uh, a couple of days later, I had it all figured out, and I needed three of these printers and two towers and whatever. And he called, and he said, uh, have you got it figured out? I said, yes. He said, uh, how much is it? And I said, well, it was $9,460 for everything. He said, let me talk to my wife, and we'll see what we can do. Okay. You know, I mean, I think this guy's going to help me 500 bucks or 1000 or whatever. You know, I have no idea what people's going to do. About two hours later, he called back and said, I'll talk to my wife. And we decided that we would just buy it all. He said, I've already express mailed you a check for $9,460. And I got it the next day. Isn't that awesome? Now then, where, is, where was my faith level? Hey, I went to the king and I said, Lord, I need it. 
And I believed it. Well, the other day, these printers, we've, you know, we've used them. We've printed thousands of things. And all of a sudden, Dave said me the other day, we need some faster printers, some more automatic printers. You know, we need to do more stuff now. And I said, well, what kind? He said, well, I went and checked out and looked at all this research and everything. And he said, the things we need, they're extremely expensive. I said, what are we talking about extremely? He said, well, they're about $7,000 a piece. I thought, wow. So we need a couple of those things. Okay, that's $15,000. I said, okay. I said, Lord, thank you for the money. But this time, we have the money in the ministry banking account to pay for them. So I went ahead and ordered them. I mean, I don't have to even stand by faith. I got the money. He's already given it to me. So I said, thank you, Lord, for providing me that $15,000 for those printers. I just ordered them. So we, the next week or whatever it was in church here, I said, you know, isn't it wonderful? You know that what God has provided for this ministry? I said, but we needed some more printers this last week. And I spent about $15,000 for a couple of printers. And I said, uh, we've got these things in. And I said, it's, it's great. We're just doing great with them. Didn't ask nobody for a penny. And that Sunday night, after we got home, I opened that box sitting over there. And there was one person gave one check to more than pay for all those printers. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I had a guy come in one time at a Tuesday night Bible study. We needed some stuff. And he came in and he said, I don't... And Cheryl was standing there. He said, Cheryl, I, I know Thurman's busy talking to somebody and I ain't got time to stay, but I want to bring my offering by tonight. So would you put it in the box for me? And she said, sure. So he handed it to her and he said, i got to go. And he left. And when I got through talking to her, she came over and she says, do you know who that guy was? I just left. I said, yeah. She said, he said he don't have time to come to Bible study tonight. He just wanted to bring an offering by. And I said, okay. I said, just put it in the box. She said, no, you've got to see this offering. <laughs> I said, why? Is it unique? She said, very. You know, we're used to seeing $50 checks, $100 checks, you know, and things like that. Every once in a while, somebody will get, you know, uh, give a really big offer and something. She unfolded the check like this and looked at it, and that check was for $10,000. Isn't that amazing? I mean, everything we need, every time I need something in this ministry, God has provided the money for it in advance. I mean, getting in the red, one thing you won't never hear me do, get up on radio and say, you know, if you don't send in $100 for this tape, we're going to go off the air. I ain't going to never do that. That's it. Never. Forget it. I'm going to be like Smith Wigglesworth. God, I, I had a couple of suits when I started in this as an engineer. And if you can't keep me in good suits and good shoes, I'm going to go back to engineering. Because if you don't keep me in good clothes, I've got to realize that what I'm doing is not you. Well, then the other day, somebody brought... I had, I had about four suits, you know, and I wore those four. And, you know, of course, I had uh, some uh, three or four sport coats, you know, to kind of mix them with a pair of slacks. So, you know, I didn't wear the same thing all the time. But I didn't have very many clothes to do what I do. Do you know the other day, somebody walked in and brought me 15 suits and not quite 15 shirts, but about 18 or 20 ties to go with them. And they brought them and said they had all been perfectly cleaned and pressed and had the the sleeves over them and said, if you can wear these, we want to give you as many of them as you can wear. And I tried in all 15, and every one of them like it had been tailor-made to fit me. I got 15 new suits. Is God good? Is He good? Of all people, you ought to know that. Amen. <laughs> yeah, He did. The word so-so saved your life, didn't it? Yes, it did. 
I mean, I think about this little lady when she learned the word, her and her husband learned the word sozo. And it's only been, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago or something when you had that car wreck, wasn't it? And her and her husband were fasting. How, about that, Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. And she had learned the meaning of the word sozo up here. And she's driving down the road, I think in a school zone, only about 20, yeah, 20 miles an hour. And she happens to look off or something, and she runs off the edge of the road. And when she does, there's a great big dip. Oh, went off the bridge. Okay. Okay. And yeah, the car went off, turned completely over, broke all the glass, tore the car all to pieces, and then landed in the creek down, I think, wheels up, or wheels down, wasn't it? Wheels down. And... As she starts over the side, she screams, Lord, sozo me. Sozo me, Lord. And that, 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 now her husband tells me that if he normally played with her, walks up and pinches her like this, she bruises. He said, I can pinch her just a little hard and she bruises. But she screamed, Lord, sozo me. And when the police officer pulled her out of that car with all that broke glass, there was not one shred of glass on her. She had no bruises, and she was not sore. Oh, you pulled her out. I got glass all over me, but she didn't have one. She didn't have any glasses. No airbags didn't go off or anything. Isn't that amazing? And all you did was scream, Sozo me, Lord. Jesus, Sozo. That's why I was there, and the water started coming in. I just automatically repented. I said, oh, Lord, if I could go back. Five seconds and undo this, I would, but I can't. And I just declare, I'm not going to have any injuries from this accident in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for it. Amen. I see you were declaring and standing by faith on the Word of God. Oh, and the ambulance even came, and I said, I'm, I wouldn't go with them. Yeah. They thought, they said, did you black out? I said, no, they couldn't believe in me. Now, see, now, Sarah, that's where we're all supposed to walk. Yeah. We're supposed to walk in that kind of faith. You know, that if something happens and the devil does what he did to you, you need to stand on his Word by faith, and come out without a scratch. And, you know, it's just every once in a while I'll think about it sometimes and I'll go, wow, you know, I'm still living. And I, it just amazes me. And I go, you know, God loved me that much. Amen. But he loves all of us that know, much. But, I mean, it just Yeah. I mean, just think when you think God doesn't love me. Anytime somebody says God don't love me, I say, so what do you think he went to the cross for you for? If he didn't love you, let me tell you what. I don't know. Some of you may be good folks in here. You may be real good, but let me tell you, I ain't going to go to the cross and do what he did for none of you. You know, but I got a feeling ain't none of you going to do that for me either. You know, some of you wouldn't even do it for your own children, you know, but you sure wouldn't do it for just a passerby or somebody. But Jesus did that for every one of us, and he did it when we were yet wicked sinners. He loved us enough to pay that price on that cross so that we could become His children and we could walk in this mighty power that He's provided. And He's provided under this new covenant. He, he has provided under this new covenant everything in the world we need to walk in power and to walk free of sin, of sickness, and disease. Isn't that awesome? To think He provided that? And just think, when Dan was telling him and Sarah go into the prisons and everything, I, when you learn this principle, that just like I said there a while ago, when you learn that the God of this world, Satan, is blinding the mind of everybody in this world that's lost. Everybody that does. The Scriptures say that. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, the Word of God clearly says, if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the gospel. Now, who's blinded their mind? The devil, the God of this world. 
He's blinded these people's minds. Now, who do these people belong to? Do these people that are lost belong to God or belong to the devil? They belong to the devil. They're his children. So, he has legal right to blind their mind. So, see, this is where spiritual warfare comes in. Those of us that have had somebody pray for us and do the warfare and we get saved. Now that we get saved, and usually the enemy will blind our minds so that we don't ever get into word. He said, "Oh man, this guy got saved. I got to get him. I got to get him busy doing something. I got to keep him busy because if he ever gets in that book, start reading that book, I'm in trouble. You know that. So you take this book when you get saved, and you start studying this word. You start renewing your mind." And your spirit with the Word of God. You start feeding the spiritual food of the Word into your spirit. And you renew yourself, your body, your soul, your mind, everything with the Word of God daily. I mean, you start spending time with God. And then all of a sudden, He will reveal to you that I came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8, Hebrews 2.14, Colossians 2.15. I stripped Satan Colossians 2.15 says, I stripped Satan of all of his power and triumphed over him in the cross. What does it mean to triumph over the devil? Is he the victor? No, we are. I'm sure Jesus is the victor. Yes, and then he passed that down to you and me. So we're the victors. We're more than conquerors. We read that over in Romans. We're not conquerors, Paul said. We are more than conquerors. But most people say, well, I don't know what it is about this because I don't feel like I'm more than a conqueror. Well, you know what's wrong? You know, you know why you don't feel more than a conqueror? Because you ain't spending enough time with the Word. I mean, if you're not in that book, there's no exceptions. God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to look at you and say, oh, Cheryl, what a beautiful girl you are. You, you're, I love you so much you don't have to study the Word. I'll just do all kinds of good things for you just because you're a precious little daughter. No, he don't do that, does he, Ty? No. He's no respecter of persons. I don't care how beautiful she is or nothing else. She's got to get in that book and spend time with God if she wants Him to show up for her. A different God, He don't look at you and say, Oh, well, you know, you, you're a beautiful little daughter of mine. You don't have to spend no time with me either. Just, you know, that's okay. I understand. No, He don't do that, does He, Sarah? No, He don't have no favorites. He don't care what you look like, how tall you are, how short you are, nothing. There's only one thing that moves the hand of God, and that's faith. And the only way you can get that faith is get in His Word. I mean, you want to see God do wonderful things for you, number one, you've got to get in the Word of God and you've got to get in there every day. Get in there, study it. When you go to bed at night, the last thought you have before you expire in sleep is, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this beautiful day. I mean, you know, it's not hard. You get up in the morning. When you wake up, the first thing you should say is, Lord, I thank you that I woke up this morning. And I'm still here. That means me and you can kick out some devils today and get some more people saved. We're going to be about your work. We're going to produce fruit for the kingdom of God today, Lord. Lord, send me somebody to pray for today. Put me somewhere. I mean, I didn't have any idea. Then just in a few minutes after I prayed that prayer, or maybe an hour or two, whatever it was, I'm going to be standing in the post office able to pray for a woman that come in on a pair of crutches. Hey, don't ever miss an opportunity like that. I mean, go out of your way to pray for people. If you don't pray for people, what's going to happen? Nothing. You want to see God do miracles? 
Oh, I wish I could see God do miracles. Or when's the last time you stepped out in bold faith and spent time with Him in the morning and then come and start doing something bold and start praying for people? You know, just like these people that are lost. When you find out that people are lost, I've done this many a time with people. I'll find some guy that I say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm okay. You a Christian? No. Blankety blank. No, I ain't no Christian. I ain't going to church. I don't want to. You can talk to them people, but don't you talk to me. Oh, okay. What's your name? What do you want my name for? I said, because I'm going to take you to the throne of grace and you're going to get saved. So they give you your name. And then you start doing your warfare. I mean, you can do it driving down the road, going to work in the morning. I mean, you may have a child that's a rebellious child. You know, well, go to the throne of grace, just like Hebrews 4.16 says. You take the Word of God, you're driving down the road. I mean, you can be watching that traffic. You can just say, Lord, I'm coming to the throne of grace. You told me in Hebrews 4.16, I could come to the throne of grace in times of need for mercy. Well, Lord, i got a child or a son or a friend or, or somebody I met, an acquaintance that's not serving you, and it's time they come into the kingdom. Now, Lord, I'm coming up here. I first thought I want to worship you and praise you and thank you. Because he said, do everything with worship and praise and thanksgiving. So, what does he mean when he says do all things with worship and praise and thanksgiving? Everything. Hey, that's what he means. Yeah. So you jump up in daddy's lap and you're driving down the road worshiping and praising him. You're just having an intimate time with the king. You and him. Now, don't forget where you are because you still got to drive that car. You know, don't forget that you're driving down the road. Pay attention. You know, sometimes it's, yeah, don't run off in the ditch like Sarah did, you know. You know, so don't go there. You don't want to wreck your car. But it's real easy to get lost, you know, in, in the Lord and forget where you are. But you've got to keep your soul portion, your mind on the road, and your spirit's got to be talking to God. So you're at the throne of grace. Just like Hebrews 4.16 says, and you're worshiping and praising the King. And then in a little while, you say, okay now, Lord, I'm, I've come up here to do a little bit of warfare against the enemy. I met a man yesterday that don't know you, and his name was John Doe. And he don't know who you are. But I know you came to save the whole world. You want everybody to be saved. That includes all of them, doesn't it, brother? That includes all of them. So you say, Father, I, you said that if there's anybody lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind. Now, you told me in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, that that devil has to be subject to me. So in the name of Jesus, I am commanding the devil to withdraw his spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies, his demons that are on earth, that's blinding the mind of John Doe. I command you, Satan, to stop doing that in Jesus' name. Now, see, this lines up with Scripture. Then you say, Lord, you told me in John 6, 44, that nobody can come into the kingdom except you draw him. So, Father, I'm asking you to send your Holy Spirit to begin to woo John Doe and drag him into the kingdom. Send that mighty Holy Spirit. And the Lord says, now we're getting somewhere. You're praying the right kind of prayers. The minute you pray that prayer with a spirit of thanksgiving and praise, He immediately dispatches an angel or whatever. The Holy Spirit that's on earth says, go over and get him. Begin to convict him of sin. He said, the devil, you got to get out. Do you hear what my son said? you hear what my daughter said? He said, they said, for you to get away from that John Doe and leave him alone. So you got to get away. 
Quit blinding their mind. Now, then I send my Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, that Holy Spirit begins to work on you. And you, you begin to come under sin consciousness. You think, what is going on here? All of a sudden, I feel like, you know, that's like people I have read in many books about Smith Wigglesworth. He walked in such an anointing with God. He could go and get in a train car and just sit down over here by himself and open his Bible and not say nothing. And all of a sudden, 30 minutes later, 20 minutes later, some guy or two or three of them would get out and then run over and fall on their knees and slide up to him and say, I don't know what it is about you, but I just feel like i got to get saved. Did you tell me how to get saved? Now, that's the kind of anointing every Christian ought to walk under. You know it? The Holy Spirit was such... Convicting power was on Smith Wigglesworth that anybody in his presence, the Holy Spirit was so powerful, he'd bring people under conviction and they'd want to be saved just to be in the presence of Smith Wigglesworth. Because when you were in the presence of Smith Wigglesworth, you were in the presence of God. You know, and when that power is there, like it was for him, he led no telling how many people to Christ. I mean, he just... You know, he said one night he was on a cruise ship. Somebody wanted to take a cruise. He said, well, I've never been on a cruise. They said, well, we want you to go. So he said, okay, I'll go on them things. It's after his wife had died, I understood. So he said he got on a cruise ship and went with them. They're out there somewhere. And they said, we're going to have a little contest tonight, and we want you to do some singing. He thought about that a minute. He prayed a second. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll do it if I can be the first speaker. They said, well, I guess it don't make any difference which one. We've got a lot of people lined up to do it. He goes up there and sings one lovely little verse and presents Jesus to him, And almost everybody in the cabin got saved and the contest was over. I read that in one of the books about him. Now, see, when you and me walk in obedience to God's Word and we do what He said, God shows up for you. You know, now if you're out there sinning like the rest of them are, you, God ain't going to show up for you. His convicting power is not going to be there. But if you're walking in obedience to His Word, His power will be there. And you will be able to displace those demons. And that power of the Holy Spirit, that of God, it will come upon you and it will begin to draw and woo those people into the kingdom of God. And then they will come over and say, you know, I don't know what it is, but I, 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 need, I need to know about Jesus. And you say, you come to the right place. I can tell you about Him. Amen. You know, And you can lead them into the kingdom. Is that right? That's, right? That's the way it's done. See, they come over and ask you. If you'll walk in that anointing with God, you'll walk in obedience to His Word. When you walk in that place with God and you spend time with I mean, just think of Ty. He spends two or three hours with God just, I mean, personally in the Word of God every day. I mean, it's nothing uncommon for him to come to church on Sunday with four, five, or six testimonies. And if he give us all of them, he could probably take up the whole two hours. He just tells us some of the more powerful ones. You know, why? Why does he do that? Why could he have been a doctor, a vet, and a, and, and a, a cow herder and all this stuff, and a cattle raiser and all that stuff, and be totally lost a few years ago, and today he's where he is today? It's because of God. That's right. He knows that. You don't have to even ask questions. It's because the Lord began to show up in his life. First showed up in his wife's life. Then he showed up in his life. And after he saw what happened when she got with the Lord, then he wanted what she had. And then, of course, it bubbled over into him. And now then, he spends that time with God every day. I mean, every day. And when he's in that Word, in that quiet time with the Lord, the Lord shows up to talk to him and sends him out 
and he does great things every day for the kingdom of God. Now, you think he'd be any different for you? No. He'll do the same thing with you. If you'll just spend time with God and walk in faith, he will send people by that you'll be able to get them saved, healed, and delivered. The Jesus we serve, he is a mighty God. You know, but you've got to walk in obedience to his word. Now then, when you, when you start learning how to pray like this, and you start kicking these demons out of these people, you start speaking to that devil. I mean, just take them one at a time. I mean, that's the way I used to do it. I'd take one person that's lost. I'd, I'd, I'd single out John Doe. And if I knew this guy's lost, I'd single him out. And every day, I'd go to the throne of grace. I'd praise and worship the king for saving John Doe. I'd rebuke that devil, command him to get his filthy hands off of him, stop blinding his mind. And I'd ask the Lord to send that Holy Spirit to convict him of sin. I said, Lord, now if I can be the labor, I can bring this person in, you send me. But if I'm not the right labor, then you know who that labor is. It might be Deborah. You know, it might be Dan. You know, it might be Eldon. Who knows who it may be? But Lord, you send the right one. Now then, if I can just go in there and just plant a little seed. Maybe that's all you got me to do. But Lord, let me plant that seed. Whatever it is. But Lord, I'm claiming this man's spirit, soul, and body for you and service under your kingdom forever. And I want you to know, Lord, you made me a promise, so I ain't taking no for an answer. Well, see, God, He don't want you to take no for an answer either. The devil will come in and say, oh, but you old worthless critter, you know. You know, you think back when you used to sin and all the stuff you've done. You don't think God would do anything good for an old worthless critter like you. He wouldn't say something like that to you and me, would he? Yes, he will. That devil will try to make you and me feel like nobodies. Like I say, when he throws that mantle over you and covers you up and says, Oh, but think about where you used to live and the sins you used to commit. God would never do nothing good for you. That's when Peter says, when that man stepped up there and he walked up and he said, I need some money. Peter said, I don't have any money. But what I got is better than money. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. What are you talking about? He said, did you hear what I said? Reese and grabbed him by the hand and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he jerked that man up and that man goes running and jumping and screaming and crying. And he's healed, running up down the steps. And the church comes and says, how did you do this? He said, if you think it's by my holiness or by my righteousness, let it be known that it was by faith in the name of the Holy One. It was by faith in the name of Jesus that this man stands before you whole. So see, when that devil throws that black mantle over your head and says, oh, you know God wouldn't do nothing good for you. You say, he may not do nothing good for me, but I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. And he was perfect and perfect and perfect. And everything he did, so I'm doing it in his name. He's my Savior, so I'm taking my Savior's name, and by faith I'm speaking it. And the Lord will show up for you. He will show up for you. He promises it. So, all of a sudden, these people that couldn't get saved. You know what we do? We go into somebody and say, are you a Christian? No, I'm not a Christian. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> Somebody walks up somewhere in a place of business and said, I don't feel very well. Would you pray for me this week? Don't say that very loud. I'll try to when I get home. 
Would you pray for me? I don't feel very well. Absolutely, I'll pray for you in the name of Jesus. Let me lay my hands on you and cast this devil out of you right now. I remember one time I was in Home Depot buying some stuff. Had my old dirty work clothes on and everything. And a woman come by. Oh, Thurman. She said, I, 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 my brother is not doing very well. She said, uh, when you think about it sometime, would you pray for him? I said, sure. Reached to put my hand on her shoulder and I raised it. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I began to pray for that boy right there. And that girl wilted, turned red, purple, everything else. I got through praying that prayer. People's walking by, listening to us and everything else. And she, when I let my hand, I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. She said, I didn't have any idea. She's going to do it right here in front of everybody. I said, don't ask me to pray unless you want me to pray. I mean... Are we supposed to be violent Christians or are we supposed to be violent Christians? If you want to see the king show up for you, you better not be ashamed of the king. If you're ashamed of the king, guess what he's going to do for you? Nothing. That's what he said. Nothing. Well, I mean, we got to do something in faith, don't you think? That's just like I remember a few years ago, I heard that a man that was a member of the Baptist church up in Justin, that he'd had a... Uh, I forget what it was, some, some kind of a serious uh, tumor or something or blood clot or whatever it was coming up in his neck and he became virtually immobile. He was a Sunday school teacher and everything at the Baptist church. A great man of God. I love this man. I mean, I really love him. He was a really good friend. Whenever his wife called and told me, he said, he's in the hospital and didn't. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I mean, it's life-threatening. I said, no problem. She said, can you possibly come today and pray for him? I said, I guarantee I'll be right there right now. I won't even change clothes. I'll just be there. Well, I jumped in my pickup and I drove up there and went up to the room where she was and he was. And I walked in and there was two or three of the elders of the Baptist church, two or three of the deacons, one or two retired preachers and everything in the room. All kinds of people. I walked up and walked up beside the bed and I said, you want to be healed or you want to die? He said, well, Thurman, I want, I, I want to get well. I'm not but 52 years old. I said, okay. I just wanted to know whether you want to live or die because I've got to agree with you. I just reached over and laid my hands. I said, you want to live? He said, yeah, absolutely. Reached over my hands. I said, you devil of hell, come out of him. I said, get out in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, you told me to cast the devil out and lay hands on him. You'd heal him. I said, it's done. I'm gone. And I turned and walked out. Praise the Lord. The woman said her brother was there and he said, who was that guy? <laughs> well, guess what happened to the guy on the bed? He got well. That's exactly right. He got well. In fact, that doctor said this thing was so big that they didn't think they'd be able to, you know, really get it. But after I prayed, three or four days later, they went ahead and did the surgery. When the doctor went in, said it was almost totally, completely gone. I said, you guys just get in too big of a hurry. You should have given God one more day, and you wouldn't have had to have no surgery at all. Amen. But it's so unfortunate today. We, when our bodies are, are attacked. What did you say, Sarah? The doctors wanted the money. Yeah, of course. Of course the doctors want the money. You know. Of course they want the money. You know, I mean, that's what they're there for, right? But one thing I will say about a doctor, you know, they do the best they can, and if they kill you, then they don't charge you. Oh, they don't? Oh, you don't know. <laughs> no, let me tell you, they get their money whether you get well or not. You know, they go and get their money. I've never seen, I personally have never seen a doctor 
they would do a surgery on somebody that if they lost a patient. In fact, one of the mechanics that used to work with me years ago, he was a pretty good Christian guy. And he had a uh, doctor friend, really good friend his was a doctor. And he was a surgeon. And he brought his car in for him to work on. And I forget now what he charged him, $70 or something to fix something on his car. And when the doctor came back after, he said, good grief. You charged me $70 to fix that? That probably didn't take you but a couple of hours. And he said, well, that's right. That's about all it took, $70. But he said, you know, I went in one time and you just checked me and you charged me $500. It didn't take you but five minutes. So he said, you know... Uh, he said, but I've got a whole lot more invested in what I do and what you do. And he said, no, no. The only i got a lot of money invested in tools and equipment, and I invested a lot of years to learn how to fix this car. Yes, you, you invested a lot of years and a lot of money for equipment over here, too. He said, the only difference is when I fix your car and it don't work, you bring it back, expect me to fix it for nothing. He said, when you do surgery and it don't live, you bury your mistakes. He said, I have to fix mine. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? That's true. That's the way it is. I mean, you take your car in and you pay somebody to fix it and it don't work when you get through. You don't won't have to pay to fix it again, do you? You want that car to be running when you get when you go in and pay your money. I mean, you know, you go in there and pay twenty five hundred or three thousand dollars to have a new engine button in the car. You expect it to run. How many miles do you expect it to run if you bought a brand new engine in it? Oh, oh, well enough. He said at least 200,000. <laughs> I mean, so if it only runs 10, you ain't going to be happy with it, are you, Eldon? Speaking of nervous, if they give you a 10,000 mile warranty and it runs 11,000, you ain't going to be a happy camper, are you? Not hardly. Not hardly. You expect it to run 200,000. But, you know, that's the way we are. We go in and spend two or three thousand dollars on a car. And did you know when you go to a doctor, you can't get nothing for a doctor today for in fact, there was a lady that used to come to our church a long time ago. She hadn't been here in a couple of years. But she used to come here. And one day she called me and she said, Thurman, I am down here in Dallas in the hospital and I've got to have you to pray for me. I said, how long have you been there? She said, three days. And she said, they've run all kinds of tests and said, I'm not getting any better. So she said, I've got to have prayer. And I said, now why in the world did you wait three days? Why didn't you call me before you went in? She said, well, I know what my problem is. I don't have enough faith. I said, okay. But now you had enough faith to call me. Do you believe the king will do what he said when he said, if two of us on earth agree, he'll heal you? She said, yes, I've repented all day. I believe he'll do what he said. I said, okay. So I prayed the prayer of faith for her. And it was like a Friday when she called. And Sunday she was in church. She would virtually instantly heal, went home that same night, hadn't had any pain or nothing. And when she come in Sunday, I said, oh, praise God. I said, Jesus healed you. She said, yes. She said, you know the difference between your prayer and the three days in the hospital? I said, what? She said, $10,000. She said, the three days I spent in the hospital with all the tests that didn't do me no good whatsoever, I was feeling terrible, but I had to pay $10,000. You prayed for me, and in a few minutes I was healed. And she said, I, I... I'm, I'm perfect. There's not anything wrong. And Jesus, how much did Jesus charge her? Isn't that wonderful? No charge. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful to know the King? He heals us and don't charge us. Well, but all of us are not there in our faith, are we? No, we're not there. 
So we're going to get there. So how do we get there? We get there by studying the Word. We spend time with God. You've got to learn the promises of God. I think about that young man the other day. He said, I was listening to some of your tapes. And he said, now then, he said, I reach over here when the devil shows up and I get my sword and I pull out this great big long gleaming sword and I cut the devil's head off. He said, when I first started listening to your tapes that I heard you say one day, if you don't have no word in you, you got a sword. When you reach over and get the handle, you pull it out and you got a little knife about a half inch long on the end. He said, that was me. That was me. He said, I was no threat to the devil. He said, I couldn't do much damage with that little bitty sword jabbing him with that little bitty tiny knife blade. So he said, I started doing what you told me to do. Get in the Word. Hide the Word in my heart. He said, now I've got probably at least a hundred scriptures hidden in my heart. He said, i got a sword now, the Word of God. The double-edged sword that cuts that devil asunder. You know, there's only one thing the devil's afraid of, and that's the Word. That's the Word. If you don't know the Word... How are you going to line up? You're not going to fare very well when the devil comes against you. And when he comes against you with, and technically speaking, I started to say when he comes against you with the big guns. But how many guns or weapons does the devil really have? He don't have any, does he, Deborah? Now, isn't that amazing? He has no weapons. Jesus totally defeated him 2,000 years ago, totally stripped him of all of his power and armament, According to Colossians 2.15, he has been disarmed, stripped of all of his power and armament, and he has no armament whatsoever unless we give it to him. Isn't that awesome? Here we let the devil... You know, I mean, I have heard preachers say, Thurman, don't talk about the devil. I'm afraid of him. He might beat up on my church. He will if you think like that, won't he, Dan? But whenever you learn who you are, again, I go back to Smith Wigglesworth. Again, I read in one of the books one night where Smith was laying there asleep, and all of a sudden he felt something, smelled this terrible smell. You read that book too, didn't you, brother? And he turned over and looked, and there was the devil himself. And he said, Smith, I've come to kill you and destroy your ministry. And he said, oh, it's just you. And he turned back over and went back to sleep. Is that where we should all be? Absolutely. I mean, if the devil shows up at your house, you say, get out of my way. I'm a son of God. Step step to the side, devil. Let one of the king's children come by. That's what we got to see ourselves like that, don't we, brother? When we see ourselves as children of the king, you think about... The greater one, according to 1 John 4, 4, is in you. The Holy Ghost is in you. And your brother, Jesus, is walking beside you. And his daddy, the father, is behind him. What should we be afraid of with that kind of power? Nothing. No fear. No fear whatsoever. But many of us are not there yet. You know, I wasn't for a long time, lots of years, I was not there. But praise the Lord, I'm getting closer. You know, nothing, nothing scares me anymore. I'll make that statement. The Lord says, we'll see about that. <laughs> Lord, if I said something there, I should have. Lord, I don't want to have a test. <laughs> I don't want to go there. But Lord, 
I praise Him and thank Him. Because, you know, He is an awesome God, but He will put you to the test. I guarantee He will put you to the test. Won't He, Elder? He will put you to the test. Yes, He will. I don't, boy, He did it to you not long ago whenever that suck, stuff sucked in your throat, didn't He, Ty? I mean, He told, he told you that day He's going to put you to the test, didn't He? You heard Him say, Ty, I'm going to put you to the test today. Well, He didn't know what He's going to do. But before that day was over, he was under his house and he, he sucked some insulation into his uh, throat. And when that insulation went into his throat, immediately, as a doctor, he felt those glands begin to swell up and close off his throat. He told the guy who was under there with him, pray! And the guy said, i got to go with some help. I said, it's too late to get some help. Just pray. And as he started passing out, his last statement was, Lord, I trust you. And he passed out. And he don't know how long he was out. But all of a sudden he woke up and he could breathe perfect. And the Lord says, you passed your test. Ooh, we don't like them kind, do we? No. What if he'd have went into panic mode? What if he'd have stepped into fear? He wouldn't be here today. He would not be here today. His life would have been over. He would not have passed his test. Now, isn't that a shame? That is a shame, especially since our king came to this earth and then whenever he came here, after he defeated the devil, after he destroyed sin, after he bore our sickness and removed our disease. Now, all this is written in the Word. If Jesus done all that, why in the world do we as Christians yield to the enemy when he comes to us? Why do we step into fear? You know how many Christians I know that live in fear? Lots of them. I mean, they're there. I mean, they, they're in constant fear of everything. Oh, I'm so afraid something's going to happen. My children's going to go out tonight. Well, turn them over to God and let them go. Say, God, they're your children. You made them. You give them to me. But I had the privilege to bring them into the world. But I'm trusting you. You know, them's your children. You know, I'm giving them to you. You're going to watch it. You're going to send your Holy Spirit. You're going to send your angels to watch over them. You're going to protect them. I can't go with them, but you can you can send these invisible beings. They're going to be fine. Now, don't you dare say, oh, kids, be careful. Watch where you're going. You might get in the car wreck and get killed before you get home. You ever heard anybody say that? Sure, we have. We've said those kind of things. See, but we didn't realize that we had what we said with our mouth. Just like we go back to that Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus said, just think, the king of the universe says, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you're going to have it. If you tell your children often enough, be careful, you might get killed in a car wreck. I used to run around with a guy that his mother would say, son, be sure you got clean underwear on. <laughs> you ever heard what's that? You, you've heard that too? Because if you ever got in a wreck, had to go to the hospital, I don't want them to have dirty britches. I thought, oh, let me tell you what. If you ever get in a car wreck, you might have had clean ones over, but they're going to be dirty when the wreck's over. <laughs> so don't worry about it, Baba. Don't worry about it. You know, they get in a wreck. I mean, unless they're walking in some kind of faith, they could have had dirty, clean underwear. They're going to be dirty when the wreck's over. I guarantee you. So you don't have to sweat it. Don't have to worry about it. Have no fear. Don't speak that curse on your children, and it won't happen. 
And, but we do some of the silliest things. We allow the enemy to beat up on us as children of God with depression, heaviness, all kinds of things. And the Lord says, all you got to do is start praising me. Praising me and worship me in the spirit of heaviness will go away. And Isaiah 61.3, you know, all you got to do is read the word. Six, Isaiah 61.3 says the spirit of heaviness is driven away by the spirit of praise. So, you get up in the morning and say, oh, I feel awful. It's Monday. I got to go to work today. No, you get up and say, praise God. Look at this beautiful day. I don't care if it's beautiful, clear. I don't care if it's overcast. I don't care if it's raining straight down. I don't care if it's five below zero or 95 degrees. Lord, I praise you for this beautiful day that you made. I'm going to have fun today in the name of Jesus. The Lord don't like grumbling and complaining. I, I, did you know, as Christians, Paul told us in Romans 6.16, in fact, I'm going to read that to you so that I don't misquote that. I want you to see this in Romans 6.16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He, he says something here that is, is kind of amazing. You've got to meditate on this just a minute. Romans 6, 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself service to obey, his servants you be, you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin, which leads unto death, or of obedience, which leads unto righteousness. Now, As Christians, right there, He gave you a choice. Every day you get up and make a decision, who am I going to serve today? Am I going to serve the King and walk in obedience and have eternal life? Or am I going to get into grumbling and complaining and fall into the devil's world and it's going to bring forth sickness and disease and death upon my body? It's my choice. I thought, just the other day, I walked up to a couple of men to ask a question about where, how to get somewhere. And two men, they looked like this, maybe, maybe as old as I am, maybe not quite. But they'd lived a few years, that's for sure. And they're both sitting there in an easy chair, taking life easy, smoking a great big old long cigar about that big around. I looked at those two guys and I couldn't hardly stand just being in the presence. So I backed off. I didn't want to get too close because I could smell that stuff. And I didn't want that stuff in my lungs. And I backed off and I thought as I drove away, I said, Lord, I don't know if those two guys are Christians or not. I didn't even talk to them. But I said, there's two men that's paying to kill themselves. They're smoking cigars and they're paying for those things. And that nasty, burned nicotine stuff that's going down into the lung is charring and destroying the sacks that they breathe in. And they're slowly stopping up and destroying and killing the air sacs in their body. So that if they keep doing it long enough, it will bring some kind of cancer or emphysema or some kind of death and destruction to their body. And I said, you give them a free choice. You said in Romans six sixteen, I give you a choice. You can either serve me and walk unto holiness, and it will bring forth eternal life, or you can walk in sin, and it will bring forth death. It's your choice. Isn't that amazing that God would give His children a choice? But He did. That's how much He loves you. 
He's not going to force you to do anything. He tells you in His Word exactly what works and what doesn't work. And then He gives you the choice. But did you know we can go all the way back to Deuteronomy and the Lord makes that same statement to the children of Israel. Today, I call heaven and earth as record against you. That today, I, God, set before you blessings and curses. Life and death. But He says, choose life so that you and your children may live. He even give us the answer to the test. And we still messed it up. That's pretty dense, isn't it? And it's just like I heard a preacher the other day make a statement. I won't call his name because I wouldn't want it to be on tape. He's a great preacher. I love him. I watch him every time I get a chance. But he made this statement. He said, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kick Adam in the shins. <laughs> he said that. I laughed. And I, thought, I called his name and I said, you know, if you had been Adam, then Adam would be kicking you in the shins because you would have sinned just like he did. So I said, you know, I know you're just kidding, but you know, our words are very, very powerful. I'm going to kick Adam in the shins because he sinned. Well, let me tell you, if it had been you, you would have done the same thing. You know, so it doesn't make any difference. If, now, then I'll have to say that if you today have know that you've never sinned in your life, then you've got something to be proud of, and then the minute you're proud of it, you're sin, you've done sin, so you're lost. <laughs> Is that right, brother? I mean, pride, you know, God goes far from those that are proud. So you say, hey, I ain't never sinned. Well, that's a sin right there, so now you're guilty, see? So, I mean, you, you can't win, can you? No, you can't win. That's why we had to have a Savior. That's why the King had to come so we could be saved, because we are flesh and he does understand that we're dust, that we're flesh, that we're weak. But that's why he gave us his word and told us what to do. And if we'll take this word, if we'll read this book and meditate on this book and learn who we are in Christ and what we can do, the more you read that book, <clears throat> the more precise and precision you become. You know, it, it didn't make you different. Think about maybe you're a woman. And you started ironing the first time. You didn't know how to iron. Mama had to show you how. Maybe you scorched something. Maybe you ruined something. But after you've done it a few times or a few years, ironing is a piece of cake. I mean, you know, man, you throw something down there, you turn them things out and flip them out. You know, or cooking. You know, somebody comes up, well, I'm not a very good cook. Well, you hadn't cooked very much. You know, because, I mean, my mother, I can remember my mother, of course, who knows how many of the big old cat head biscuits my mother had made. She could jump up in the morning, throw a little milk and eggs and, and, and uh, flour and stuff together and a little whatever, uh, sugar and uh, salt or bacon and whatever it meant, throw this stuff together. And in a few minutes, man, it got that great biggest, all them wonderful cat head biscuits and that old wood cook stove. You know, she got up early, went out and chopped that wood and cut that stuff, brought it under, built that fire. Some of you women don't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> You ain't never made a cathead biscuit in your life. You wouldn't know how to make a biscuit if you if your life don't if you if you couldn't go down to the grocery store and get one of them cans that make pop whop. You know you couldn't do it. You couldn't cook a biscuit because you ain't never cooked one. You know I mean, but we're spoiled. You know those are good biscuits. I love them. You know I like them, don't you, Deborah? Yeah, yeah you like. <laughs> but my mother didn't know that. My mother, before they made that stuff, I mean, she was a cook. 
You know, I mean, she was that Proverbs 31 woman. She was that woman that got up early and worked hard and all that stuff. Of course, I think about my wife, Cheryl, last night, since we don't have people there to minister to her and Phil and Chris is out with their new baby. Cheryl, we come in from working. Actually, we went flying yes, last night a little while. We took a few minutes off, and we went out and flew around for a few hours, two or three hours. We flew all around the Metroplex and looked at all the beautiful lights and, and just flew through the rain and everything out there. We just had a beautiful time. And then we come in and landed, and we got back to the ministry center about 11.30 or whatever it was. And Cheryl, she's now going to have to, I go in and study for two or three hours, and she goes back there and starts burning CDs and DVDs. And you know what time this morning? I finally last night about 2.30 or 3. Yeah, it was 2.30 because I know when I got in my shower and got in bed and looked at the clock, it was 3. She hadn't showed up yet. This morning when I woke up at 8.30, she, the bed was still empty. And so I got up and went in, and 9 o'clock, she's still back there burning CDs. So I told her, I said, what would you like for breakfast, honey? I'm going to fix your breakfast. So I fixed her what she wanted for breakfast, and at 10 o'clock, we had finished breakfast, and I went to work, and she went to bed at 10-something, and she slept till about 6 o'clock this afternoon. You talk about a working woman. I mean, she worked all night, but she burned, I don't know how many thousand CDs and DVDs last night. I mean, she was a working woman. You know, ain't that something? Worked all night long. See, now, see, when your woman works all night long, you don't mind getting them fixing her breakfast. You know that? You know, of course, then I was busy all day doing things while she was doing things. I was out working on things. But last night, you know, we think about how we have to work on things, you know, ironing or whatever we do, get in the Word of God or whatever. I think about how many years it's been since I'd flown an airplane. And then God gave us... Ty's airplane, and I got to fly a little in his 172, and I got the feel for it again. And then God gave us that beautiful little twin, you know, and I got really comfortable in that little airplane. And we've made a couple of trips in it. You know, we've been to some places, and it's a beautiful little machine. You know, it flies good and everything. But then God gave us this big twin. Oh, man, is this thing nice. I went over last night, and I told, I told Cheryl, I said, Honey, I want, I want to take you all flying. So I go over, and I go to Decatur and pick up the big one, and I fly over to Northwest and land and pick up her. I, I said, Dave and I, we flew the uh, little moped, he calls it, the little Cessna 150. It's just big enough for two people. We flew the moped over there at 100 miles an hour, almost wide open throttle, and we got our Cadillac, what I call it now, this big, beautiful twin that God has given us. He gave us this thing free and postpaid, just like I give away my stuff. He, I mean, all these airplanes, He's given every one of us to them free. I mean, I had that, I mean, it's, it's totally paid for. I got, the ministry now has three airplanes and we don't know a penny on none of them. And all has happened in the last six months. It's amazing what God has done. You know, but anyway, I fly in over there, and when I, we fly in and land there at Northwest, I look over there, and there's two beautiful women standing beside the runway, Cheryl and Ayesha. And Ayesha got the baby. I said, Dave, let's see if we can entice those two beautiful girls to go for a ride with us. So we pull up there. We don't even shut the engines off. They get in. We go down to the end of the runway, and boom, we're off into the wild blue. We fly around over there, and I said, called Ty. I said, Ty, you like to see our new airplane? He said, I would. I said, we're going to be at Terrell in just a few minutes. And so we flew over there, and they drove down, and they got in that thing, and we flew out over to Gainesville or Greenville or whatever it was, uh, way out around, and flew around out there in the beautiful stuff and just enjoyed a little time and then come back and had something to eat. 
and went back and got in that thing and flew it back over to Northwest and I let the girls out. And, you know, I think about how many years it's been since I've flown one of those big jets. But, you know, it just feels like I'm putting that back on last night in the night and everything. Beautiful approaches. I set it down on the runway. It's just like I was at home again. You know, all that experience years ago has prepared me for this airplane to go and do things now for the ministry. And I felt so comfortable. You know, I, I, it just, it's, and I thank God, when you say you give us the desires of our heart, I never, ever, 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 I had a 150 one time. I even had a Mooney one time. And I thought I would never, as a working engineer, ever be able to have an airplane bigger or more powerful than this because I couldn't afford to fly it on my salary. I never dreamed God would give us a light twin that will carry six people. Then he would give us a big one. You know what the ceiling is on this big one? 30,000. It's pressurized. I mean, it'll fly up there. It's a beautiful thing. We can go anywhere in this thing. I thought, wow. And as we flew around the Dallas Metroplex last night, wasn't it beautiful, Ty? And this thing's beautiful interior. It's all leather. Everything. I mean, it's like a Cadillac. You know, and it's so beautiful to fly around. And I thought, oh, God, I could never, ever have had enough money in my life working to have something like this to bought it. I could have never made enough payments. And you just handed this thing to me and paid for it. And I didn't even have to make a payment. You gave me this airplane free to fly around with. And it's such fun to fly. And we can all get in. In fact, this weekend, Friday afternoon, we go into Lubbock. We're all going to go in that airplane, and we're going to go out there Friday afternoon. We're going to preach in a big church out there on Saturday, and then Saturday night. We're going to get in that thing after we pray for people. We're going to fly back home. It's only an hour and 45 minutes to Lubbock in that thing. You know? Isn't that wonderful? Hey, uh, he's, he's very good. He's very good. And I, I'm, just, I'm just awestruck at what he does for us. But just think of the years he trained me to do what I do today. Think of the years. I had no idea years ago when I was training with all that professional training to fly them big jets and everything else all over the world that the day would come. Nearly 40 years later, I'd be doing it again, only in an airplane for the ministry. Never had no idea that he would do this. You know, no idea. But also, when he was training me to be a systems technical instructor and teach systems on all them airplanes, I never dreamed that he was showing me what I needed to do to get his word, study his word, just like I did those airplanes. But when I learned it and started studying his word, just like I did for those airplanes, and started doing what he says in his word, he started doing great things for me. Wow! Now then, is God a respecter of persons? No, he's not. If you get in his word and you put him first... Guess what He's going to do for you? The same thing He does for me. Isn't it wonderful to see God do great things? See Him do things beyond your wildest dreams? You know, to save souls? To pray for somebody in the post office? You know, to pray for somebody over the telephone and see them get healed? Isn't it wonderful? It is wonderful. All you got to do is step into that world of faith. Serve the King. Draw nigh to God. And He will draw nigh to you. Amen. Don't you love it? Amen. I love it. I love seeing God be real in people's lives. And every day at our ministry center, we get letters from all over the world. Thank you cards that our teaching has transformed the lives of people. That they're saved, healed, and delivered. And I think of the last healing school for that little boy. 
18 years old. That sat right over there where that young lady's sitting. That in August, her brother had come to her sister, his sister, had come down and said, I believe that since my brother five months ago was in a skiing accident and he's laid at home as a vegetable for five months, I believe that the Jesus that we serve, if you will agree with me in prayer, that he'll raise up my brother and heal him. And we prayed that prayer at the healing school in August. And two months later, that girl, that, and that daddy, and that family came down with that boy. And he's walking. You saw him, didn't you, Deborah? Yeah. He's not a vegetable no more. When you believe the king, what will he show up to do? Great and awesome things. Don't you love to pray for somebody and see God show up like that? Amen, amen. Hey, you know, somebody said, well, I'm gonna, I'd love to start out like that. Well, you probably ain't going to start out like that. But start out, you know, praying for people with a headache, you know, or taking authority over the headache that you have, you know. Or if you're, trying, if you're being beat up on by the enemy and you're walking around with a long face and you can't get happy, then start with yourself. You know, take the Word of God, drive that devil out and start praising, worshiping the King and get yourself healed and yourself delivered and yourself walking in this holiness and yourself in this abundant life and then God can use you for somebody else. Yeah. Get set free yourself. You know, Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have just a little tiny inkling of life. Oh, that's not what he said. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Just like Sarah said a while ago, I'm not a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. Because Jesus said I'm a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. And just think of Revelation 3.20. Everybody that overcomes on this earth. He's going to allow them to sit with Him in His throne. So let your goal be an overcomer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a buck private in heaven. <laughs> It'd be nice to be there and be in heaven. But when I walk up to... This is why I don't want to be a buck private in heaven. I don't want the king to walk up to me and says, I died for you and I gave you a lot of power on earth and you didn't use a single bit of it. How would you like for him to say that to you? You didn't do nothing for me. You just believed in me and that's all you did. You didn't do nothing else. So you don't get no crowns. You don't get no rewards. You're going to be one of those that sets off down here. Yeah, sitting on the pew. Yeah, you're going to be a pew pew warmer, right? I don't want to be a pew warmer, do you? I want to be, when I leave the pew, I want that baby to be on fire. When I get up, I want a blaze coming off of that thing. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the flame of the Holy Ghost, right? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for these awesome promises in Your Word. Lord, we thank You that what You've done for us, and we give You praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving because You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And Lord, we love you. We love serving you. And we love praising you. And we love, Lord, that you've come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And we love that you defeated the devil for us so we don't have to walk in sin or sickness and disease. We can walk holy and we can kick that devil out and we can walk in divine health. 
Well, we have to take it away from the enemy by force. But well, we're willing to fight the fight of faith. We're not going to be like the people that lay down and said, we can't fight this fight. There's enemies in there, Lord. Yeah, we realize the enemies are here, but Lord, we can overcome them with you. Nothing is impossible with us because we're sons of God. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for blessing us with your word. And Father, thank you for using us this week to bring glory and honor to your name. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.